Hello everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour podcast. My name is Stephen Palmer, and you might know me from being the co-host of the Asian Cinema Film Club podcast with Mr Elwood Jones, or maybe my writing for easternkicks.com, or maybe my own Asian cinema blog, guelo-ramblings.wordpress.com, which of course is where this podcast gets its name. If you want to know more about who I am and how we got here, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode, and then come back when you're all up to speed. Or just stay and wing it. Either way, you are most welcome. In the last episode, we went to Norway and looked at two films that used stylistic conceits to deliver what I consider superior implementation of those conceits. Atoya, 22nd of July, used the appearance of a single take to immerse the viewer in one of the darkest days in Norway's modern history. And The Troll Hunter, well, it used supposed found footage to create a fun mockumentary to give a fun spin on Norway's mythology. This episode, in a break with the norm, will extend our stay in Norway and look at a couple of films that put a Scandinavian spin on two popular genres, horror and the teen sex comedy. First up will be the horror thriller Baby Call, which, despite numerous flaws, gives us a European horror film that feels like it is channelling those turn-of-the-century Japanese horror films that brought me into writing about cinema far too many years ago. And it also gives us a chance to see a less well-known role for the Swedish actress who made the jump into Hollywood a few years back, Numi Rapace. And then we get Turn Me On, goddammit, a teen coming-of-age sex comedy that feels so fresh because it deals with subjects that rarely get covered in the West, and most importantly, putting the burgeoning sexuality of a young female front and centre. Our first, or maybe our third, if you include the pair of films from our last Norwegian episode film, is Pal Slatelne's 2011 Norwegian horror thriller Baby Call, also known as The Monitor in the West. Numi Rapace plays Anna, a woman setting up a new life with her young son Anders. They are being housed in one of those faceless apartment blocks that seem prevalent in Scandinavian cities. The pair have clearly escaped from an abusive husband and father and are under the protection of social services. But Anna is deeply scarred and doesn't want to let Anders out of her sight. But when she is forced to let the boy sleep in his own bed, she goes out to buy one of those baby monitors so that she may have some measure of comfort about her son's well-being whilst they're sleeping in different rooms every night. During the purchase of this device, she meets Helga, played by Christopher Jonna, and the two strike up a rapport of sorts. The connection works because they are the flip side of similar unhealthy relationships. Anna is an overprotective mother, Helga is the grown-up victim of an equally overprotective mother, one who is now entering her final days and whose life Helga is in control of as her doctor is forcing him to make a choice about what to do when she can no longer breathe unassisted. But whilst the pair work towards a potential awkward romance, we learn over and over that Anna's actual grip on reality is even less than we might have originally feared, 
and her role as subject in the tale being played out may well make her a somewhat unreliable witness. Baby Cool is one of those films that is damaged by its marketing. It wants to make you think it is a supernatural horror, a European version of those J-horror and K-horror films that have been popular a decade before. It has all the hallmarks, a lonely single woman, a creepy child, a modern ubiquitous technology that could be linked to the supernatural. Yes, I am looking at you, Ring. But when you actually watch it, the whole baby monitor aspect is a tertiary plot point at best. For me, if you're looking for Asian films to pair this with, you'll be better off looking at Hideo Nakata's actual masterpiece Dark Water, or maybe even Shinya Sakamoto's Kotoko. This is the story of a damaged and abused single mother. It's a story about dreadful mental illness. And the film has a ton of flaws other than the marketing. It's guilty of way too many plot holes and far too many narrative threads. The former you could drive a tank through. The latter leads to a sense of unfinished business, especially when the truth is revealed to Helga in an unearned piece of late-in-the-day exposition. However, what it has and what makes it worthy enough for me to recommend it is Numi Rapace. Indeed, the other aspect to the marketing of this film is that it makes everyone very aware that Rapace is the original live-action portrayal of Lisbeth Salander, the titular girl with the dragon tattoo. Her starring role in three Swedish TV movie adaptations of Stieg Larsson's incredibly popular Millennium series of novels had turned her by the stage into an international star. Oh, and yes, she is Swedish, even though this is very much a Norwegian film. Rapace is multilingual, and the fact that three of the main Scandinavian languages are basically mutually intelligible means that she has worked in Swedish, Norwegian and Danish productions before she was whisked off to Hollywood. And for those counting, Finnish has a completely different linguistic background. Rapace creates Anna as a totally believable character. Physically, her makeup is minimal, her hair dank and greasy. She's unimposing, and where her Lisbeth Salander hid a gentle and abused soul behind visual eccentricities and tendencies to violently react to situations, Anna is almost the opposite. She's almost smaller than life. She's the downtrodden victim that most of us probably wouldn't even notice. And somehow this makes her descent into madness even more believable. And staying away from spoilers, I use the phrase descent into madness somewhat advisedly. Baby Call is an interesting film and worth watching a couple of times to fully grasp all the implications once the truths have been uncovered. My criticisms around plot holes and simply too much going on that lead nowhere should not put you off, and I would recommend it as a showcase for Numi Rapace's talents. In some ways, it is a frustrating experience. Rapace is so good that I can't help feel disappointed on how her career has progressed. Her cinematic CV should be so much stronger than it is. And while she is always good value, 
you look at the meteoric rise of Alicia Vikander and wonder if there'll ever be room for more than a single Swedish actress to be on the international stage at any one time. So let's turn from a dark story of mental illness and a fascinating and established actress to the polar opposite. Let's have a look at a comedic coming-of-age story led by a cast of unknown amateurs, Yannick Stishand Jacobson's Turn Me On, God Damn It. Helen Bergsholm plays the 15-year-old Alma, a girl with two problems in her life. She is stuck in a dead-end town called Skodderheimen, and she's so, so horny all the time. She seems to spend much of her free time masturbating, often calling up a telephone sex line to work out her frustrations. And she fantasises about how a fellow handsome student called Arta in both romantic and sexual ways. And she fantasises sexually about just about every person she meets. But mostly it's about Arta. And then, one evening at a party at the local youth club, Arta apparently gets out his erect penis and pokes it into her hip. Now whether he actually did this, or quite what his intention might have been if he really did, isn't really that clear. What is clear is that when Alma tells her friends about it, they not only disbelieve her, but it starts a process of ostracisation by her friends and eventually her whole school. And it gives her the nickname of Dick Alma. What's worse, her mother gets the phone bill that includes quite a lot of charges from Alma's phone sex habit. Yup. It sucks to be Alma, and she's still crazy, crazy horny. Right, let's get some obvious stuff out of the way. Bergsholm was 17 when she was cast to play the role of 15-year-old Alma, and her parents and the actress herself were fully aware of what she was being asked to portray. Yes, there are a few breasts on display, but I am pretty sure in both cases they were not those of the actresses themselves. And there is a scene of her masturbating, but it's fairly covered up. Now please don't think this is one of those dodgy European porno films. Uh, the same also has to be said of the fleeting glimpse of the erect penis. It's clearly fake. Just get over that and what you'll be enjoying is something special. Because what Turn Me On Goddammit actually is, is a delightful and honest comedy drama. Guess what, everyone? It isn't just young boys that get full of hormones during puberty and don't know what the hell to do with themselves. And also, not all mothers and fathers are able to dole out sage advice. Alma's mother is refreshing in her consternation about her daughter's behaviour. But it doesn't mean the mother rejects her daughter. Oh, and guess what? Kids are cruel and they turn on each other for all sorts of horrible, vindictive reasons. And they follow each other like a pack of sheep. And those little events in this closed world of a small town school do tend to escalate out of all proportion. And you know what? Small towns suck. Other than the gender swapping of the protagonist, this could be pretty much any coming-of-age drama you might see come out of American cinema. Sure, it's a little bit more graphic than Hollywood might want to show you, and Alma is possibly a little stranger with her amazing bluntness about her sexual urges to friends and family. 
But what gives it the freshness and the recommendation of this podcast is the authenticity of the performances. Pretty much everyone in the film was an amateur and actually came from a single small town like the fictional Skoddenheimen. So while some of the roles and events are a little exaggerated or just plain strange, they have that air of authenticity about them that I simply don't think could be achieved in any other way. The film also gets points for not being too woke or judgmental. It just feels honest. It feels authentic. And God, it's funny. And at an extremely tight 76 minutes, it knows exactly when to leave and not outstay its welcome. I was trying to think of another film to compare it to, because I don't want you to think it is a sex comedy like, I don't know, American Pie and such like. And then it struck me that I had enjoyed an American film that also had its roots in a young adult novel like this one, which dealt with the central controversial subject to do with the sexual awakening of its main character. Greg Berlanti's 2018 Love, Simon, a film that dealt with another layer of difficulty in that the lead sexuality in an equally sensitive and still amusing way. And maybe Alma's story is very different to Simon's, but they are both films that show it's utterly okay to talk about these things. And maybe that young people watching these films can understand that who and what they are and what they feel is perfectly okay. So that's two more Norwegian films that I think are worthy of your time. Now neither of these films are as powerful to me as a Toya 22nd of July was, but any chance just to see how good Numura passes is always worth taking a gander at. Furthermore, a female-centric sex comedy is simply too rare an opportunity to turn down. Scandinavian film can occasionally be a little cold, a little austere, maybe even a little too intellectual. I hope I've chosen four films over the last two episodes that have given you some idea that there is much more going on in the films from Norway. You should now be able to find the page for the podcast on Facebook. Just search for Guelo Ramblings World Tour or look in the episode description. If you want to contact the show, give feedback or maybe tell me about your favourite Norwegian films or suggest something for a future episode. Feel free to contact me there or via email at thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk And please feel free to give me a review, share episodes with people you think might like this and so on. I'm not here for large numbers of subscribers but I do like to know I'm not just talking to myself. Um, That proper website I said about in the last episode is still a work in progress but we'll get there. Oh, and if you use Anchor to listen to the podcast, feel free to use the audio comment feature. I'm undecided where to travel to next, so it'll be a mystery tour ticket you're buying if you choose to subscribe. What I am going to promise is that there'll be a couple of special edition episodes poking their head into your feed soon, and one in particular will be having a look at a recent remake of one of the films we looked at in one of our previous visits. Also, don't forget to check out my other podcast home, the Asian Cinema Film Club. Aud and I are actually increasing the frequency of episodes for a while, so you'll get even more Eastern cinema goodness. 
But for now, once again, it's Taxkal Haduha Og Hadet. Thank you and good night.